the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We fulfill our stewardship like a steward. Not talking back, not what if. We don't serve because I want to or because I have the time or I readjust. You do it because you're supposed to. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 through 18. As he addresses the Corinthians and his situation regarding being paid as an apostle, he starts in verse 15 for us this morning through 18. He says, But I have used none of these things. And I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Three motivating factors in Paul's decision, the decision being the refusal of payment from the Corinthians, despite affirmation of the Lord's mandate that ministers should be paid, despite the fact that other ministers to the Corinthians have been paid. The first motivating factor, as we'll see, is biblical boasting. But let's move on and see a second motivating factor in Paul's decision, and that is a special stewardship a special stewardship. Look at verses 16 and 17. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. I know that these verses on, on its surface can be confusing. I'm going to break it down for you to give you, uh, to help you grasp this before we go into the details, unlike a normal pastor today who gets saved, becomes a Christian, at some point chooses to become a pastor, Paul was saved and made an apostle at the same time. It's very different for him. His calling to apostleship was uniquely from the Lord. It was conveyed miraculously and audibly by Christ himself. So Paul had no choice but to preach the gospel. He didn't go to college years after becoming saved and say, you know, I think I might go to seminary. He had exactly zero seconds from the time of conversion to be chosen and called to be a minister of the gospel. That was part of his salvation. And so in verse 16, he says he has nothing to boast about in his ministry because he is under compulsion. Again, it wasn't just a job. He was compelled to do it by virtue of his calling. 
God saved him and at that very moment said, you will do this. He had no choice. Yes, in God's sovereignty, but not when I was saved did God say clearly to me, you must become a missionary. You must become a pastor. I figured that out later, as did every pastor alive today. Most people get saved, they don't even know what a pastor is at the moment of salvation. It was part of God's specific design and calling for his life. The ESV says, necessity is laid upon me. The NIV says, I am compelled to preach. He has to do it. Galatians 1.15, Paul acknowledges that he was set apart this way, saved, yes, but also as an apostle from his mother's womb. He's not the first. There are similarities to Jeremiah and John the Baptist. In Jeremiah 1.5, God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is not just talking about election. This is not just talking about salvation. This is talking about a specific calling to be a prophet. We see this later reflected in his compulsion in Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. He says, But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name... In other words, if I no longer do my duty as a prophet, he says, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in and I cannot endure it. If I stop proclaiming the words of God because of my calling, Jeremiah says, I'm going to die. This is not the easier way for him. He's compelled to do it. It's just a more more poetic way of saying what Paul is saying in our passage. In Luke chapter 1, The angel tells Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, also happens to be his earthly cousin, that his son, John the Baptist, will be one who will be set apart specifically from any wine or liquor and will receive the Holy Spirit while in the womb. While in the womb. Why? Because he's told that his son, John the Baptist, will be responsible for turning many Israelites back to God. And he did that paving the way for Jesus Christ and His ministry. You say, well, in God's sovereignty, isn't this every pastor, every believer when they share the gospel? Yes, but not in this way. This is different. This is unique. It's very specific, very special. And when we go back to Paul's understanding this and saying, I I can't boast in this because I'm under compulsion. I'm forced to do this. It's like comparing someone, comparing to someone rather, who at midnight tonight, their lease runs out. They are compelled to move out. So he calls a bunch of you guys, sends an email for the helps team, and a bunch of people from church help them move out before midnight. Are they all moving physical objects? Yes. But the person who will face legal ramifications if he doesn't move is compelled to move. He's moving because he has to, not because he wants to. The rest of us, on the other hand, we're not compelled. We could say, no, I don't want to do it. We're all there by choice. He has to do it. You see the difference? But everyone there is moving stuff into the van. In the same way, Paul says, I can't boast. You can't pat a guy on the back for or you can, rather, pat a guy on the back. Hey, good job helping him move. That was really nice of you. I know you just got the vaccine. Your arm is sore. That was really nice of you to still carry all that heavy stuff. But you don't pat the guy on the back who had to move out. 
and say, hey, that was really good of you to move out before midnight. Good job, buddy. No, he had to do it. You would have rebuked him if he hadn't. He was legally obligated to move. And that's the difference. This is what Paul is saying here. He's the guy who has to move. Don't pat me on the back. There's no boasting here. I'm compelled to do it. I have to do it. Don't praise me for doing what I am supposed to be doing. In fact, he feels so strongly about this that he says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Remember what we read about Jeremiah? It's burning within him. He grows weary holding it in. Woe. It's a common biblical interjection that always indicates pain or displeasure. There's some sort of discipline or punishment from the Lord if Paul doesn't do this. He won't lose his salvation, but he understands he will be chastised. Now, all pastors are promised a stricter judgment, chapter 3, verse 1 of James, but how much more Paul in his circumstance as a uniquely called apostle. And it's interesting to think that he is saying, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Why do I find that interesting? Because it is due to preaching the gospel that the Apostle Paul has faced constant physical harm and threat of death, emotional pain, and yet he's saying, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. You would look at his life and all of his scars and all of his fleeing in the middle of the night and say, brother, woe is you for preaching the gospel. But no, he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And it goes back to his boasting in the Lord. He's so focused on the Lord that that physical pain, uh uh-uh. It's nothing compared to what he knows he must do. Not preaching the gospel, now that's dangerous. Stonings, whips, shipwrecked, people wanting to kill me, dragged by who knows what, the hair, the arm, the leg, behind a horse, into an amphitheater. No, no, no. Not preaching the gospel, that's dangerous. What an example to us. Why? It says this is physical harm. If I don't do my duty in the Lord, that's a fate worse than death. He further explains this compulsion in verse 17. In the first part of the verse, he clearly says that he does not do this voluntarily. If he did, he could get paid, no problem. But he does this against his will, so it's a stewardship. Careful here. When we talk about someone doing something against his will today, it denotes something negative, something he doesn't want to do. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's simply saying that he didn't have a choice in the matter and that it wasn't voluntary. It's not that he was unwilling to obey. It means he had no part in the calling. In fact, despite it being against his will, he finds great joy in it. He wants to do it. We know that. It's similar to saying, I did not choose to be male. I did not choose to be Chinese. I had no part in that. I had no say in that. But I will live it out and I will enjoy it. Difficulties? Of course. But that doesn't deter me because I have no choice in the matter. It is what it is. Despite what people want, despite what science can do, despite the sin of our world, I will be male no matter what. No matter what. Surgeries, pills, choice, whatever. I am male. Nothing can change that. And so, I'm compelled to live as a male. I'm compelled to live as a Taiwanese-American. Different, I understand, but that's the idea behind what Paul is saying. I didn't have a choice. 
in his apostleship and his preaching of the gospel. So, pay is not an option. Don't praise me for it. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I have no choice. And he says, because it is, quote, a stewardship entrusted to him. You remember what a steward was. It comes from the imagery of slavery back then. Someone gives the steward something to take care of, be it something physical like money, land, or his children, or a responsibility, something that is valuable to the one who owns the slave. The steward is then to take care of it properly to the master's happiness. For Paul, that is the gospel ministry. I have been given a stewardship of the gospel, which doesn't just include evangelizing. It's evangelizing for the sake of, you know, planting churches, discipling, all those types of things. It's a stewardship. And when you talk about a stewardship for Paul or for any of us, it's an obligation, it's a responsibility, and it involves faithfulness on the part of the servant to the master in whatever the task Though those terms and those classifications are not what we have, it's the same thing with your work. If you are hired to do something, you are obligated to do it. You have to be responsible. You have to be faithful to teach those kids, to deal with that lawsuit, to help the client with his accounting or provide IT, whatever it is. You understand, right? It's a stewardship. But when Paul uses this word in the world and where... I don't want to say slavery still existed because it still exists today, but you know what I mean. The steward back then does not ask for pay. He's a slave. He doesn't ask for pay. It's like, oh, I'm a steward now instead of a, a, a field hand. Do I get a raise? There's no raise. There's no pay. He's just given the task, and it's not an option. He's expected to do it because he's a slave. It's the same thing with Paul. Jesus called him on the road to Damascus to be his slave and told him what his task would be. And so Paul says, don't, don't pat me on the back. Don't pay me. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm merely a slave exercising his stewardship. Now, we know that this level of stewardship on a spiritual level is unique to Paul, but we too are called to be stewards on many levels by the Lord of God's grace towards each other, of the gospel, we are called to be stewards of one another. And so my question is, are you fulfilling your stewardship? Are you fulfilling your stewardship with the mindset of a steward? You have been given what is God's, and you are to take care of that. God has given you this church and the people in the church to take care of. I do not care if you don't like them. I don't care if you're newlywed and you want to just spend time with your wife. I don't care. You've been given a stewardship, and you have no right to say no. You are supposed to do it. We're stewards. I don't care how scared you are. You share the gospel. You're a steward. So we don't just fulfill our stewardship. We fulfill our stewardship like a steward, not talking back, not what if, not but how about later. We are to do it. That's it. We don't serve because I want to or because I have the time or I can readjust. You do it because you're supposed to. You do it because your master told you to, and you have no choice. Now, today we do have a choice, and when you don't do it, that's why we call it sin. Even in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, we see this. Remember this parable? Master's going on a journey, so he gives three different slaves, stewards, some money. One, he gives five talents. One, he gives two talents. And one, he gives one talent. 
When he comes back, the guy who was given five had made five more, gives him back ten. The two made two more, gives him back four. The one said, I, I knew you, you're a hard man, and so I didn't want to risk losing it, so I buried it in the ground. You're back. Here's your one talent back. He didn't lose it. He still gave it back. And yet that guy was punished in a horrific way, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I always found that strange, frustrating. I get if he lost it or he spent it selfishly, he still gave him the original money back. Why is he punished like that? And the answer is here, because he wasn't a free man who could do what he wanted, even if he thought it was good for the master. He was supposed to do what he was told to do, make more money, and yet he didn't do that. He didn't have a choice in the matter. I mean, if someone borrowed something from you, a cup of sugar, something like that, and then said, hey, you know, it was <laughs> buy one, get one free at Safeway, so here, I'm going to give you two pounds back, you'd be like, thanks, but you don't really have to do it. Just a friend. It's voluntarily. You're not under obligation to even give it back. And if you gave one back, she came back with a cup of sugar, you'd be like, I didn't expect it. It's sugar. You don't have to come back all this way with a cup of sugar. You don't have to do that. But that's not the case here. These guys had no choice, and that's why the guy who just gave back one talent was punished because he was a steward who was told what to do and had to do it, and so are we. Paul's stewardship is unique, but it doesn't change the reality of what we are called to do and how we are to do it. Real quickly, let me give you our third and final motivating factor in Paul's decision the righteous reward. We've seen biblical boasting. We've seen special stewardship. Now the righteous reward, verse 18. He says, if you're not going to pay me, I don't want pay. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Here we see that Paul does receive pay for his preaching of the gospel, but not pay in the conventional sense. His pay is the freedom to preach the gospel. His reward is the joy of choosing to put aside Christian liberty. To go back to the larger context at hand, the irony of his wages being the ability to not take wages is incomprehensible to the secular mind, to the unsaved mind. Your pay is not being paid. Unbelievers don't get this. They want to be paid. For them, it's not God, but money makes the world go round. So they don't get it. But the spirit-filled intellect of the believer, we understand this fully. Why? Because what's more important than money? So much more, but joy, love, preferring others. In this context, preferring others and loving others and finding joy in ditching those gray areas and choosing others. As we'll see next week, there are practical ramifications of this, such as him not being controlled by those who pay or pay more. But we can rest assured that the larger picture comes not from interpersonal relationships or politics, but a Godward joy and pleasure in doing what he does, in fulfilling his calling, in preferring others, in loving. And this is the key to our view of Christian liberty, is not practicing the gray area reward enough or do you need praise and recognition? I just want you to know that I used to do this 
Well, when I found out you had a problem with it, I threw it all away. And I get we sometimes do that as a means of love and encouragement. But do you always need something that answers the question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Yeah, you know, at least by not doing that anymore, I saved some money. It was a costly habit. Oh, well, at least I can share with my small group. Hopefully that question's on the small group list today. How well I'm doing in my love for others. Or is God's glory enough? God's glory and your subsequent joy, which will really only come if you truly have a focus on God's glory. If it is, then you understand not just reward, but righteous reward. You understand where Paul's coming from. And let's not forget that all of this for Paul is because of his gospel compulsion, as it should be for us. So for Paul, his life is so consumed, so enamored, so in tune with God's will that to choose to forego a right that he biblically deserves for the sake of the gospel is a no-brainer. He didn't grant, hey, Barnabas, what do you think? Is this, are you, should we, it's a no-brainer. And we see this in our outline today, his biblical boasting, his special stewardship, his righteous reward. So I ask you again, Christian, beloved, what do you live for? What compels you? What is the center of the universe? Out there, they literally, as you have seen in the news, shouted in the streets, success, equality, my political beliefs. In here, we shout the gospel. But then we in here go out there and there's things pulling on us. The boss calls. The hospital calls. The new car you like drives by. The bills come in. Creditors are knocking. Family wants to visit. Old friend from college contacts you on Facebook. And a flood of memories of all those dreams of success that you once had with him or her. Oh, man, what am I doing? I need to get back to that. Get back on track. Then you click on their pictures of their nice cars and their big house and even more so. We got to be careful. It's a reality. And we need to be aware of it. And so we need to be consumed with the gospel, live for the gospel. So when all these things are pulling at us, they transform into something that has to do with the gospel for the Lord. We can't talk about being compelled by the gospel without talking about what Paul is really talking about here, preaching the gospel. Stir you up in a frenzy and we're here, gospel, gospel, gospel. You go out there, well, um, uh, can I tell you? Are you compelled by the gospel? Not just what you would write down on a survey in a church membership application if it says, what are you compelled by? Not what you would say if I ask you. Not what you plan to say in small group this week, but what you really live. Not just what you say, not just what you're supposed to do. Do you live the gospel? Are you compelled by the gospel? But I have used none of these things. And I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. 
For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and so blessed to be able to live in a world and where you provide not just the bare necessities, but so much for us to enjoy. And yet it is so easy for us to get caught up in the things of the world, the allures of the world, the temptations of man and woman, and we forget the gospel. Every word that we speak to another person, every thought, may it be compelled by the gospel, Lord. And teach us, Lord, teach us what that means. Teach us how to flesh that out in our lives. To not just preach the gospel, but to live by the gospel, that the gospel would be everything to us because you are everything to us. Help us to recognize the distractions that are pulling us away from that. The things that we are happy about and focused on so that we may see if it is gospel-centered and if it can be, that we would absorb it into our walk with you so that we would not just be happy and focused, but we would be joyful and exuberant because we recognize that you are in it. This is the kind of people we want to be, Lord. Make us so. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.